Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Good to see you all. Thank you, music team, for leading us in those beautiful songs this morning. I'm grateful for the talent that has been given to Valley Bible Church in both writing songs and singing them together. So God is good. And we give him the credit this morning. Um, We are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Before we get there, would like us to pray together. Would you please join with me? Lord, you have searched us and you have known us. You know, when we sit down and when we rise up, you understand all of our thoughts. You scrutinize our paths, our lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Even before there's a word on our tongue, you know it. Such knowledge is too wonderful for us, and we can't attain it because it is too high. For you are such a God as this, we cannot escape your spirit. We cannot flee from your presence, even if we wanted to, and we should not. If we went to heaven or to the deepest of the seas or to Sheol itself, you are there. We praise you this morning that you have formed our inward parts and you wove us each and every one in our mother's wombs that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by you. And even when our mothers were not even aware that we were made You had already skillfully wrought us in the depths of the earth, and you saw us. And in your book, you wrote all the days of our lives that were ordained for us when we were not even yet born. For this, we are grateful to you, O Lord. And with the psalmist, we say, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in us and lead us in the everlasting way. We thank you that we owe our very lives to you and that there is nothing that we have that did not come from you because you created us in your image. With that power and with that truth, then we turn to your word and ask that the spirit who knows us and is with us and lives in us would indeed be the one who teaches us this morning all that we need for today and tomorrow until Christ returns. For it is in his name that we pray all these things. In the name of Christ our Savior, amen. We are in chapter 4. Are we moving moving along pretty quick? Not really? Okay. But we're in chapter 4 anyway. We're starting a new chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And I invite you to turn there with me if you have your Bible. Our reading this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. As the psalmist said, uh, Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. That is the power of God's word. Would you please stand to honor his word and to give attention to the reading of it, knowing that he is speaking to us very specifically in these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, the word of God. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. 
But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself. Yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against another. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. What does the world take pride in? What are the things that the world values and takes pride in? It, it really does. The, the world is a, is a system that values things that God does not value. The world takes pride in, in power. The world takes pride in beauty. It takes pride in intelligence and popularity. That's what the world values. What about you personally? What do you take pride in? We all take pride in something. I've got grandkids, and I take pride in them in a sense, but I didn't make them. We take pride in, what do, you, do you take pride in your German heritage, your Irish heritage, your Italian heritage, whatever maybe. No, nobody's going to fess up to any of those. Sometimes people are very proud of those things, aren't they? And yet, what did you have to do with that? Do you take pride in your wavy hair? Some of you have no hair, but uh, <laughs> do you take pride in the fact that your family is known for longevity and, you know, the orchards or the Smiths or whatever, they live a long time, and so that's us. We take pride in those things. But this was kind of the problem at Corinth. They took pride in things over which they had no control. You have no control over your longevity in your family, your genes. You have no control over the genes that gave you your beautiful eyes, your wavy hair, or no hair at all. That is just the way that God has made you. And the problem of Corinth was that they were taking pride in the things of the world, the things that we should not take pride in. Those things are usually immutable, things we have no control over, like the color of our skin, the color of our hair, the color of our eyes, how tall you are. If you watched, you've been watching in any basketball lately, how come we don't have a bunch of six foot eight monsters in here who all can dunk the basketball? That's not fair, isn't it? Is it? Shouldn't we all be that tall? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we all be that healthy and strong? Not the way God has made us all. So your height, your eyes, your intelligence, all those things are things that God gave to you, and you have no control over them. But the Corinthians were taking pride in the very things, the, the eloquence of Apollos. He was a natural speaker, probably. It was spoken of as being an eloquent speaker. Perhaps he was tall and handsome, too. 
Maybe that's why they really liked him. Maybe the ladies swooned over Apollos. I don't know. On the other hand, Paul, we know his personal appearance was unimpressive. And his speech was contemptible, he even said. Maybe his voice was nasally when he talked. Maybe he stammered. We don't know. But they said his speech was contemptible. So therefore, they made distinctions and they had their little groups. Well, I like Paul better because maybe he's, he's wiser and he's deeper. But Apollos, man, that guy, he's, he just makes me laugh, you know. It makes me feel good when I talk. And Peter, well, he's, he's every man's man. He's a, he's a fisherman and he's strong and scrawny and, and we like him for that reason. And so they made divisions amongst themselves. And what were they doing? They were tearing down the temple of God over things that the scriptures do not say to to divide over or to judge over. They had come to expect these worldly measures of their leaders, popularity, power, physical prowess, brain power. Those are the things that they looked at. Oftentimes we do too, unfortunately. In contrast, what we're going to see this morning is this. What God expects from us is faithfulness to all he's given to us. For all we have is graciously given by us. He doesn't expect you to be taller. He doesn't expect you to be more handsome. He doesn't expect you to be smarter. He doesn't expect you to be more eloquent. If you have uh, talents and gifts, sure, develop those. But remember, they're gifts that come from God. What he expects from us is faithfulness to what he has given to us, because all that we have is indeed given to us. So we see this in the first couple of verses, in verses 1 and 2. Faithfulness is God's requirement of his servants and his stewards. That is what he requires of all of us. We're all servants, we're all stewards, and we're going to see that. And what he requires of us is not that we perform or results. We've got to have some results out of you guys. He wants faithfulness that's what he requires verse 1 of chapter 4 let a man regard us in this manner Paul's saying we want you to think of us and he's talking about himself and Apollos he's going to get to that in a minute but that's what he's talking about he says I want you to think of us this way this is how I want you to consider us we are servants and we're stewards servants and stewards Paul had just made the point that the Corinthians belong to Christ. And if actually, if you kind of work backwards in verse 23 to 21, 22 and 21, he says, Christ belongs to God and you belong to Christ. You belong to Christ and Christ is God's son. And by virtue of your union with Christ, that's why you own what you owe. That's why all the riches of Christ are yours because of your union with him. So why on earth do you boast? Why do you take pride in? Why do you trust in? Why is your faith in men? Because of their stature, because of their speaking ability or intelligence or their dreamy eyes or whatever maybe. Why do you do that? And so he says, We belong to Christ. And he says, I want you to consider us as those who belong to Christ. We are his his servants. We are his stewards. Of course, this is true. We're going to speak of the, the, the 
individual temple of God later on that we are, we are not our own. We are bought with a price. And we belong to him. And by virtue of belonging to him, all the riches of Christ are ours. So Paul is making the point. You need to consider, you need to think of myself and Paul. You need to think of us as those who belong to Christ. We're servants. And this is not the typical word for servant. Oftentimes you've heard the word doulos, which means slave. Or you've heard the word diakonos, from which we get deacon, which means servant. This is a word that was used in, in ancient uh, Greek literature of an, an under rower. In the, in the bowels of a ship, the lowest of lows, those who were rowing, the under rowers, basically the, it came to mean service of the lowliest kind. And Paul is saying, Apollos and me, we are servants of the lowest kind. Don't think of us as either one of us as some kind of highfalutin, whatever it might be. We're servants of him, and we are stewards. This is an often used word. Steward is an often used word by the Apostle Paul, and it means a household manager. It comes from the word household, and it means a household manager. Oftentimes, the steward was a slave. Someone who who had a lot of money and had an estate would put a, a trustworthy slave in charge of his family and his crops and the uh, the animals and it was his responsibility to care for the household notice by the way um paul's changing metaphors once again we often think of the the teaching um methods of jesus that he used a lot of illustrations and metaphors and he was fun to listen to but we, we need to give paul some props here remember earlier he said he said I planted and Apollos watered. We're workers. We're farmers. And then he said, you are God's field. And then he said, you are God's building. And he said, I laid a foundation. We need to continue to build this building. And then he changed it and he said, we're not just a building. We are a temple in which God lives. And now he says, Apollos and I are not just farmers, but we're stewards. We're taking care of the household of God. We're not just building any building. We are building the temple in which God lives. And so we are stewards in which God has given us this responsibility. We often think of stewardship in in the church as money. You know, we have stewardship of money. Many churches have stewardship programs. We don't really have one because you are good stewards, because you are faithful to give. But stewardship goes beyond money. We're to be stewards of our life. Do you know that your life was given to you? Um, which by that I mean time. By that I mean God knows the number of minutes that you will live. And one day when we stand before him, he's going to say, I gave you 79 years, six months, three weeks, two days, and 28 minutes. What did you do with it? What kind of a steward were you with the time, with the life that I gave you. Yes, we're stewards of our money, but also the rest of our possessions, your pets, your yard, your garage. Please help me get mine clean. Uh, Our houses, everything that we have, we are stewards because God owns it. Your job, God gave you that job. And And work is not a curse, the labor of curse, 
the labor of work sometimes is part of the curse, but, but working is something that God gave to mankind for, for worth and dignity before the fall. And we are stewards of that. He gave you your family. He gave you your wife. He gave you your, your husband. He gave you your children. The psalm says, children are a what? Gift of God. You didn't make those kids. God made them. And he gave them to you. They belong to him ultimately. And, and with all this stuff, you know, prying our fingers loose of those things is really hard to do to recognize that it belongs to him. He gave you, by the way, also your body. You know, you only get one of these. You only get one. So in the matter of health, one day we will stand before him and he said, I gave you one body in which your, your soul lived and you were one for the, and, and you were redeemed and raised from the dead. How did you handle that, that body I gave you? Did you take care of it? Did you do your best with what I gave to you? Were you faithful? And then, of course, there's the ministry, which is what Paul is talking about here. I'm talking about applications general. But the ministry of, of the gospel, he says in verse 2, in this case, since we are servants and stewards of what does not belong to us, what has been given to us, it belongs to the, the master. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found faithful, that one might be found faithful. And the language of it refers to that there's going to be a time where we're going to be examined. Were we faithful with what has been given to us? Were we good stewards? So here is what you need to know. We must settle the issue of ownership of all we have. That is, none of it is ours. We have to settle that issue of ownership. We always talk about, well, this is mine, and this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, 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 mine. We need to settle the issue of ownership. I remember as a young Christian reading Larry Burkett. Some of you remember that he was the original financial guru, and that was one of the things he always taught as a fundamental teaching of, of, script, of uh, biblical stewardship of finances. You must settle the issue of ownership that it belongs to him. You're just taking care of it. One day he's going to say to you, I gave you $3,487,000.58. Because there's a certain amount of money that's going to pass through your hands. And he's going to say, how did you do with my money? I don't know how much will pass through your hands, but probably for each and every one of us, millions of dollars in a lifetime. But we must settle the issue. It's ours because it's his. And he gives us that responsibility of managing it. It is required of stewards that one be found faithful. We want to be found that. Faithful to what he's given. What he gave to Paul was the mysteries of God. Which is the gospel. We've seen that so far. The truth of God found in the gospel. The cross of Christ. He's been saying it over, over and over and over again. Hidden in ages past. To those who are perishing, it is foolishness. But to those who are saved, it is, the, it, is the, the, it is life eternal. And this is the mystery of the gospel given to not only Paul and Apollos and Cephas and the apostles, but to us as well. And Paul is saying to them, this is not my ministry. This is not my gospel. 
This is not my truth. I belong to Christ as a servant and a steward, and I'm merely managing what he has given to me, and we must settle the same thing for us. And, secondly, lowly is our position, great is our responsibility. We're under oars. We're lowly. But think about it. Why would God give such an incredible trust to servants, lowly servants? That's his method. That's the way God does things. He doesn't choose the high and mighty. He doesn't choose the tall, the good-looking, the intelligent. Some might be, but that's not his criteria, you understand. His criteria is those who humble themselves And it is to those whom he gives the greatest treasure of the unfathomable riches of God given to us. We're all lowly. We're under oars, each and every one of us. Our position as servants and stewards, because the gospel and the things given to us, they're eternal. And it will result in the eternal glory of God and the things we do on this earth for the wrong reasons. They just end. That's it. So we are responsible for that faithfulness. And third, I've said it, but let's say it specifically. God requires us to faithfully manage what he has given us. He requires of us faithfulness to manage the things that he has given to us. To be found faithful. One day this Faithfulness will be evaluated. And this applies to each and every one of us. First Peter 4.10, we'll put it up here. It says this, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as what? As good stewards. It's the same word. Paul's not the only steward. Apollos isn't the only steward of the gospel. All of us are stewards of of the manifold grace of God, the many-faceted gifts and graces that God gives to each and every believer because we belong to him and all things belong to us. And we're stewards of that. And he wants us to be faithful. Notice Peter doesn't say, if you have received a special gift, he says each and every one of you have. If you are a believer in this room, we've said it before, I think it's worth saying again, every one of you who are believers has some special giftedness from God to serve God's people and to bring glory to him. I don't know what your gift may be. Sometimes it's obvious to see uh, the giftedness that people have. But every single person in this room has some level of giftedness that comes from him. You have a great voice. Oh, you have such a great voice. Where did you get it? God gave it to you. You had the ability to teach. You know where that came from? It is a a spiritual gift that God has given to you. And it's our responsibility, therefore, to manage what has been given to us. Because one day we're going to be evaluated. We're going to be examined. You can even use the word judged. And on that day, the Lord will determine if each and every one of his Stewards, let's put them together. Servants and stewards have been faithful to that which he has entrusted to them. But the question is, what is the standard? 
by which they'll be judged. The, the standard in Corinth was, well, we like this guy more than the other guy, and we're making distinctions. The standard in Corinth was, well, Paul, Apollos is better than Paul. Well, Cephas is better than both of them. Well, we're of Christ. And even by doing that, they were excluding other people. Whenever they exalted one, they were excluding others. Because they were saying, well, if you're, if you're not part of our group, then you're not part of any group. And they were destroying by their division and by their unbiblical, worldly-based judgments the very temple of God that God was building that is holy. So what's the standard? We see it in verses 3 through 5. Faithfulness will be evaluated by God's standard when Christ returns. Standard is God. The standard is perfection. The standard is whatever he chooses it to be. But that our faithfulness to our stewardship will be evaluated and examined by him when Christ returns. He says in verse 3, But to me it's a very small thing that I may be examined by you. Notice in verses 3 and 4 in your Bibles, he uses that word examined three times that I may be examined. I do not examine myself. The one who examines me is the Lord. It's a word that means to examine something very closely and thus to make a judgment about it. And our translations have it very softened with examine. But it's, a, it's one of the words that means judge. We're not going to be judged for our sins. We're not going to be judged as to whether or not we should go to heaven or not based upon our works. That is already settled in heaven. But there will be a judgment and an evaluation and examination of our lives regarding our faithfulness to the grace that is given to us. But Paul says, it's a small thing that I may be examined by you, basically saying, I, you guys can think what you want about me. It doesn't matter a whole lot. You know, most people are more concerned with what others think about them than what God thinks about them, aren't they? Paul wasn't. He was not a people pleaser. He was a God pleaser. And he said, whatever you think about me, and, and we know at this point, and, and we know in 2 Corinthians, they pretty much have rejected him. And, and you know, it, it, he's a human being. It had to sting somewhat. Um, and he may be have, have been tempted to be bitter toward them. I don't know. He's a human being. He's, he's not Jesus. He's not sinless. But I'm sure it hurt him to some degree that he was rejected. And some people said, yeah, there are others that are better than you. But in the end, he said, you know, he had worked it out with God before God. And he says, it's, it's, it's insignificant that you judge me in this way. Or that I be judged by any human court. Literally, it said by any human day, day in court was what he means. He says, in fact... I don't even examine myself. I don't even judge myself. This, you have to understand the context here because he, elsewhere Paul will say, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. And so and he, when he goes on to say, I am conscious of nothing against myself, he's not saying in any sense that he's sinless. Remember the context. The context is he is called as a servant and he was called as a steward. And God had said to him by revelation, I am going to send you to the Gentiles and you must be faithful to what I entrust to you. And Paul says, there's no question about that. I don't need to go back and relitigate that. 
I don't need to examine myself and say, am I really a servant? Am I really called? He, he said, no. The road to Damascus really happened. And I believe God made me a steward. And I, get, I believe God made me an apostle. And I believe God gave to me and entrusted me with the gospel and the mystery of the gospel. And so he's not in any way saying that he's sinless, because elsewhere we know, Romans 7, the things that I don't want to do, I do. The things that I do, I don't want to do. He would say, I'm the chiefest of sinners. He would say, in 2 Corinthians, God gave me a thorn in the flesh that I might not be guilty of the sin of pride. So Paul knows all about sin. So when he says, I do not even examine myself, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, and then he says, yet by this I'm not acquitted. I'm not acquitted in any court because of my own judgment about myself. But the one who examines me is the Lord. The one who evaluates me closely is the Lord. The one who judges me in the end for faithfulness, it is he. It is not you, O Corinthians. Paul recognized that he would stand before God and he's telling them that they would as well. So he says in verse 5, and this is, the, this is the, the main exhortation of the passage, therefore, do not go on passing judgment. The force of the original here is stop continuing to judge each other. It's going on in Corinth. You guys are judging each other on all these crazy standards, these earthly standards. One is more attractive or better speaker or more intelligent, wisdom, whatever it may be. These aren't biblical judgments. This is worldly standards, so stop it. Stop passing judgment before the time until the Lord comes. So there is a time coming. There is a day of reckoning. There is a day of evaluation. There is a day of examination, even for believers. This is not for salvation again, but he's talking to these believers when he says the Lord will do two things. He will both bring to light the hidden things in the darkness, and he will disclose the motives of man's hearts. And he says, and then each man's praise will come to him from God. Not from y'all. Not from one another. Not from the Corinthians. Not from me. Not from Apollos. Not from Cephas. But your praise will come to you from God. This judgment will be comprehensive, okay? It is... Uh, number one, our works are seen that are seen or unseen. And we've talked about this a few weeks ago because Paul dealt with that whole passage about, you know, we're going to stand before God and our, our works are going to be uh, set on fire to determine that they are true or not. And some will suffer loss. But, but if you're a believer, you'll be saved. But so is through fire. But one day, the works that are seen right now that we're doing will be, Christ will make them known. And there are a lot of things that a lot of you do that uh, nobody sees. And that will be known as well. And that will be a good thing. This is a positive thing. That God is going to demonstrate that he was working through all of you in your giftedness. 
Second of all, the motives of our hearts. That's a tough one. But this God's examination is penetrating. It is more than skin deep. It runs very deep to, to why we do things. Not just what we do, but why do we do them. God knows not only what we do, but he knows the reasons that we do them and why we do them. And why is this important? Because sometimes we can do work for God with the wrong motives. Sometimes we can work really, really hard and spend a lot of time and energy and money and and do a lot of things. And why are we doing it? Sometimes it's because we want to be noticed. Sometimes it's because of money. Because Sometimes it's because we want the praise of others. Sometimes we just want the satisfaction of working hard. I don't know what it is, but it's wrong if it's not done for him. Sometimes we do things for ourselves because we want people to see us. By the way, that doesn't mean if you do something in ministry and you help someone and you do it for the wrong motive, that doesn't mean they weren't helped. God be praised for that. That's God's grace that he used a, a, a servant with a wrong motive to help another person. That is the way God works sometimes. At the, at the back end, you will suffer loss, the one who did that. At the, at the front end, God used you in a way, even though you had ulter, ulterior motives, to help another person, but that's grace. So we must be careful of our motives. And third, the result is, and I think this is a happy one, each one will receive praise from God. And I have no doubt that if you are a believer, on that day, every single person, because of the perseverance of the saints, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because of the new nature, all those things that he's given to you, one day God will praise you. It's, it's, an, it's hard to imagine because we, we reserve all praise for God and all glory for him. But in some sense, he's going to say to us probably, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with the little that I gave to you. You were faithful with much that I gave to you, depending upon what I gave to you. On that day, we will receive the praise of God, which is above any praise we could ever receive from any human being in Corinth or in this world. And we will be judged for our faithfulness by his standard, not the world's. So, for us, a few things. You are not the judge. This is not the time, and we're not done yet. Do you know you're not the judge? And yet, he said, stop it. That doesn't mean that we don't make judgments about sin. If I'm in sin, you need to judge me. I had... Chinese food yesterday, I made a judgment about whether it was good or not, okay? We make judgments all the time. And, and Paul is going to say, you will judge angels. And he's going to say, you need to judge that man in your church who is an immoral man. I've judged him already. And so Paul is not saying we don't ever make any judgments. What he's saying is, we do not judge based upon unbiblical standards. Elevating one person over another because of their appearance or because of their ability to speak, that is, not, that is not a biblical standard of judgment. That's pride. 
That's the world. And when we elevate someone, one person here, then we deflate the other person on the other side. So we're not to judge. And this isn't the time. Stop it until the time, because the Lord is the one who will do the judging, not us. This is not the time. And we're not done yet. We have a tendency to judge people, and we want to be fruit inspectors, and I know that, that we, we, we recognize we can judge people based upon if there's out-and-out out sin in their life. If I'm preaching heresy, you need to judge me, yes. If, if Apollos was being proud and arrogant, then they needed to judge him. But we're not done, and we need to be patient with one another, recognizing that that God is working in each of our lives, and in that day, something will be shown that will be, you know, that will be given to God's praise. And, and let me just flip this on its head for a moment. Because people will evaluate you, and they will, and they do, because people will judge you and evaluate you based on human standards, for some people, you will never meet their expectations. There are some people that you will just never measure up for them. Why? Because they are measuring you according to some worldly standard. Could be your parent, your dad, could be a child. You could be have some position in ministry in, in the church, and people have a certain expectation of you, and you'll never meet it. You'll always let them down. But you need to be like Paul, with as clear a conscience as you can, live for God's approval. Live for God's evaluation. Instead of being a people pleaser, instead of seeking God's approval and not man's, it's God's opinion of you that matters. And he made you. And he gave you all that you are. Second of all, check your motives. I think it's important for us from time to time to, to go to God in prayer. And when we're pre- preparing to minister in some way, ask, you know, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. Is there something wrong with my motives? I think we need to weigh them. We need to check them. After all, if we are just told in 1 Corinthians 5, Uh, four or five, that one day he is going to weigh our motives and reveal them, then we should be paying attention to that now by virtue of our relationship with him. And third, we can look forward to the Lord giving us praise for our faithfulness. That's a joyful thing. That's something we can look forward to. Each man's praise, notice it, it's individual. He's not going to say, Valley Bible Church, you did a great job together, and you can just still hide in the, in the crowd like you are now. No, it's going to be each one's praise will come to him from God. Not from me, not from your husband, your wife, your friend, your Corinthian buddies. Nope. It comes to us from him. Part of our reward is obviously God's praise to us for our faithfulness. In verses 6 and 7, then, we see what hinders this faithfulness, what can exclude it. Faithfulness is hindered by pride and human praise. This is the issue in Corinth. It's pride. It's pride. 
He says in verse 6, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. He says, The preceding argument has been brought to you by me and Apollos. The purpose was, I've given you us as an example to follow. I have I'm giving you an illustration that Apollos and I, we are servants and stewards so that in you, in us, you may learn not to exceed what is written. It's probably a, um, a Jewish catchphrase at the time, not beyond what is written. And Paul had given them an example and they had been taught throughout the scriptures everywhere that humility is the key and God eschews pride. Pride is deadly. It is a sin that, is, that, that God abhors so that no one of you will become arrogant, he said, on behalf of one against another. I've told you, the scriptures tell you, be humble. I've told you, the scriptures tell you, don't be filled with pride. The word arrogant here is a word that means it was used of a bellows. It was used to, to uh, inflate something, to blow something up, to be puffed up. So someone puffs out their chest in pride because they want to be seen and noticed. Paul wants to deflate them. Paul wants to deflate that pride. He wants to let the air out of those bags of wind so that they would be humble toward one another. Don't be arrogant. Pride is the issue that they were dealing with. Pride is the issue that he is responding to. So he says in verse 7, who regards you as superior? These, uh, this is a rhetorical question. The expected answer is no one. The sense of it is this. Do you really think that you're in a position to judge others after all I've said to you? Or what gives you the right to make such a judgment about other people? Who made you better than others? That's the question. Who made you better? Why do you think you're better? And the answer is you're not. None of us are any better. Just like Apollos and me were servants and we're stewards. So I don't know why I would think you would think that you were better than others. And it's really kind of silly, isn't it, to boast about something you have no part in because he says, who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? Everything you have has been gifted to you. Everything that you have was given to you. Therefore, is there anything that you have that was not given to you? Did you, did you do it yourself? Did you make your stature, your skin color, your eye color, your, 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 talent, your, your um, natural talents of speaking or singing or um, athleticism or whatever it may be? Did you do that? No. It was given to you by God. So, and if you receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Why do you boast? Why are you full of pride as if this is something that you have done? As if this is something that that you have done for yourself. So here's the thing. Here are several things for us. Pride exalts one and tears down another. And that's what he's telling them. So that none of you will become arrogant in behalf of the other one. 
Even the faction that says, I am of Christ, is looking down at the other groups. Pride always detracts from the sufficiency of Christ because it elevates man's sufficiency. And whenever we elevate man's sufficiency, Christ is diminished. We should never diminish Christ. Christ is always to be at the top. And we are to be people who are humble. Pride lowers our view of God and it elevates our view of ourselves. Second, all we possess is given by grace. What do you have that you did not receive? And the answer is nothing. Everything that I have was given to me. Everything that we have is given to us. Your strength, your beauty, your health, your intelligence, your sense of humor, your positive personality traits, your athletic ability, your musical ability, the color of your skin, whatever it is, they're all vestiges of the image of God. And in no way any accomplishment of your own or any of us. By the way, teach your children this. Please teach your children this. The way of the world is to pump up kids with praise or something. Oh, you're so talented. Oh, you're so smart. Oh, you're so beautiful. It's okay to tell your kids that they've done well and that they're beautiful and that they're talented because God made you that way. Don't leave that out in your parenting parents. Yes, give to your kids kudos. Praise them for their efforts and accomplishments of obedience but be careful not to create in them this notion that beauty or handsomeness or physical strength or athletic ability is something that they have done by which they might compare themselves to others and look down upon them. And that's exactly what they were doing in Corinth. Looking down upon one another for things that God said, you're using the wrong standard. So, in conclusion, we must be careful of taking credit for what God is doing. That's pride. When we want to take credit for what God is doing because I did that, I, you know, I, you know, I really worked hard for this and, and I really accomplished this. When we take credit for God's gifts, you know what we do? We rob him of his glory. We rob him of the praise that is due his name. By the way, that means beware of the praise of others. People will, will praise you, and when this happens, you need to always remember that anything that you do for the Lord, it's because of all that he has given to you. It's from his gracious hand. And when people start praising you for something, the danger is that you might believe it. And you don't want to. Humbly thank people but in, but you know under your breath you're always going it wasn't me <laughs> god is the one second of all on the other hand we must be careful of taking responsibility for what we cannot control for instance fruit paul planted apollos watered but it is god who causes the growth and we may work hard, we may pray hard, we may do lots of things and never see any fruit. And then we say, we say, oh, I must not be any good at this. Oh, I must have done something wrong. No, if you have a clear conscience before God that you have been faithful, God causes the growth. And we can rest in that because he is good. And finally, we must be careful above all to be faithful 
we must be careful to be faithful. All God requires of you is faithfulness. You know the Marine Corps motto, Semper Fidelis. Always faithful. Be faithful, always be faithful, always be faithful. And the the wonderful thing is, this is something that every person in this room is capable of. I don't have anything over you because I, I have a theological education or decades of ministry experience or blah, 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 blah. You can be as faithful to what God has called you to do, and God will hold me accountable and examine me for my faithfulness. But we're all on level ground here. And that is, that is what Paul is saying to them. We belong to God. We're just servants and stewards. No one in this room is superior to another one in this regard. Just simply be faithful always to how he has made you and what he has given you to do. Father, thank you for loving us enough to give us truth. Lord, the day of the return of Christ will be eye-opening for us. We want to look forward to it and not shrink at his appearing. We want to look forward with joy. And so I pray for Valley Bible Church and every person in this room that we would be faithful to all you have called us to do and the giftedness you've given to us. In the name of Christ, amen.